With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Sidelines Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at Scout.com. Today's episode of the podcast is the 44th episode, and we have a, a special guest, Duke head coach Mike Shershevsky joins the podcast and we touched on a number of topics including some of his career defining moments USA basketball and a meeting that he had with LeBron James plus we dug into his current team talking about potential number one draft pick Marvin Bagley we talked Grayson Allen's development and then Coach K gave his thoughts on the one and done rule before we get to that interview I want to make sure that you are supporting the sidelines podcast the best way for you to do that is shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app Hit the subscribe button. It'd also be helpful if you left a rating or a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Now, let's jump to that interview with Hall of Fame Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski. It's time to go man to man with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in Duke head coach Mike Trzeszewski. Actually, your uh, second time on the uh, Evan Daniels, uh, the sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. I appreciate you uh, taking out the time. How are you, coach? I'm good. It's either that I did a okay job or we screwed it up the first time, and you want to <laughs> you want to make it right this time. Well, I, I appreciate you jumping on. And I know uh, earlier today you you recorded uh, your radio show, Basketball and Beyond. That's something that you've done for 13 years. Uh, what what about that do you enjoy doing? Yeah, I love doing it. It's uh, Dave Sims, who is you know such a good announcer. I've known since uh, the late '70s uh, when he wrote for the uh, the Daily News in New York, and uh, we've been together for 13 years. We try to bring two guests from uh, different as- walks of uh, life, if possible, mostly sport. You know, my guests uh, this week are AJ Hinch, who's the manager of the Houston Astros, and Alex Rodriguez. Oh wow! And, yeah, so uh, you know, we had a great, great show, and I learn a lot from it. Uh, people give more. There, it's like eavesdropping in a conversation. It's not an interview; it's more of a right of a conversation, and I, I love it. It's funny you mentioned the learning aspect. You know, obviously, you have a love for sports and. Who's maybe a coach of any sport um, that you maybe pull from and admire from afar? I mean, obviously, people steal a lot from you in terms of plays and actions yeah. and stuff like that. But who, who's somebody? Maybe well, you know, I don't, there's not one guy uh, specifically, but I watch uh, football coaches, manage, baseball managers, other basketball coaches, and, uh, you know, how they handle uh, the stress of a game. You know, actually, a point I made about A.J. Hinch uh, to him was whenever I look at him, he, he's so cool, calm. Right. You know, he's not spitting those seeds out or <laughs> chewing tobacco. Not that that's bad. But he, uh, at West Point, when I was a cadet in the Army for five years, they taught us to, that a leader should have a strong face, you know, that uh, 
even if there's a lot going on inside, to show calm, to show strength, believability. And uh, I look how people handle that. I also watch them, you know, in their interviews, right. you know, how they handle tough questions and victory and defeat. And, uh, uh, and obvi- you know, you're paying attention to strategy too. But uh, uh, I, I just like to watch what leaders do, how right. they how they handle different situations. Now, Coach, you're, you're nearing uh, 1,100 wins, uh, 91 NCAA tournament wins, 23 NBA lottery picks, 12 Final Fours, five national championships. Your resume is as accomplished of any coach in any sport. What motivates you and drives you to keep going at this pace? Yeah, I think, uh, Evan, the next moment, you know, like the, the next group, you try not to uh, – you know, look back. You know, my my thing is to have a car that doesn't have a rearview mirror. Right. You know, like you know, let's let's be in this moment right now. And I think it keeps you hungry. It keeps you young, current. You know, uh, excited. You know, and uh, where you're 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 not trying to do something again. You're trying to do something. The next thing. The next thing. And that it sounds. You're not trying to do something again. You're trying to do something, and with this group. And the the cool thing is that there are a lot of kids on your team that are just trying to do something for the first time. Like we have seven freshmen on our team. You know, when we play our first uh, NCAA game, that'll be the first time they've played. Whereas I've I've coached over thirteen hundred. Uh, yeah, you know, games. Right. You know, and uh, to try to be in their moment, and and then as they accomplish, it's exciting to see them accomplish. It's kind of like a a parent feels with their own kid, a grandparent, um, both uh, with their grandchildren. Uh, you know, to you know, not become an old an old guy. Right. You know, to, uh, and uh, I still love the game. I love. I love the game, and uh, I love learning about the game. You mentioned being a parent and a grandparent, and obviously your family is ingrained in Duke basketball. Right. Your your wife and, and your daughters have seen the, the highs and lows. What's maybe the best piece of advice uh, your wife, Mickey, has given you? Well, she's given me a lot, and so have my daughters. I act, you bring up a great point in, in what your family can do for you. Yeah, I lived in a guy's world. It was just me and my brother, Bill. Uh, God bless him. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, He's my big brother. I went to an all-boys high school, Catholic boys school. At, that, at the time I went to West Point, it was all male. And then I'm in the military, and you, for the most part, it was all, all male. And, and so it's a different perspective. And now, you know, my wife, my, Mickey and I were married on graduation day at West Point. We've been married 48 years. Uh, she's smart. And uh, she has sometimes a different feel for things. And then my daughters have done that. So as I learned, sometimes force-fed, uh, <laughs> and they were right in a lot of things. And I said, you know, holy mackerel, I'm changing. You know, uh, I'm getting better by listening to a lot of things they do. And as a result, you know, my oldest daughter, Debbie, is an assistant athletic director here at Duke. And works right with our basketball program. My middle daughter is a counselor for the team, but also a dean of students at Durham Academy. And, and my youngest daughter, is, we've written books together. And, 
you know, we call ourselves uh, the starting five. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and that's been great for me. It's kept me grounded. And I'm lucky, you know, all three of my daughters live right here, uh, our 10 grandchildren. And who would have ever, not in this day and age, like how could that happen, right. you know, that, you know, all 10 of our grandchildren are within 10 minutes of us. You know, it's hard enough to sustain success over the course of five years, much less 37. What's been the key in your eyes for sustaining that long-term success? Well, cooperation, obviously talent, you know, uh, being able to uh, attract really good players. And so I've been at Duke. You know, I I love the school. I believe in it. And I've been a team uh, with Duke. You know, uh, I work for my athletic director and my president, but we're friends. We, you know, I've had five presidents. They've all been terrific. Uh, Three athletics directors, and uh, they've been terrific. So I've worked with good people where it's not just us. We're not fighting each other. We're working with one another, and that helps. In other words, every day you're, you're not worried, you know, when you're building the program you're uh you feel like you're on a team right and and uh that's the best way and, and it's a result and then if you're good people see it you should be attracted to this school a lot of good kids and uh and then what I've tried to do is it, not just my own family but you know it just always bring in my uh former players as assistants and that's been really good because they become family. Now your whole staff is uh, former players, right? Yeah, now. and all captains of teams. And uh, uh, that's pretty much what I'll continue to do. I've done it for a long time, and uh, it, it's worked out very well. Now, Coach, retirement is always a tough topic. You know, some former coaches and players have done it really well. Others have tried to make a plan for it and it backfired. I guess my question to you is how will you know when it's time? Uh, uh, it's a good question, and it doesn't necessarily have to – you don't have to ask that to someone who's been in it a long time. You can ask somebody at any time of course. when they re- are going to retire. Uh, I'm or, retiring to the golf course. Yeah, or, <laughs> or change and, uh, you know, change what you're doing. And uh, uh, I think I'll know one – Physically, I've had a lot of operations in the last 18 months so that I can coach and be healthy. But uh, when, you, when you stop wanting to prepare mm-hmm. uh, to win, you know, when you're, you know, whether it be in recruiting, the extra days on the road, uh, coming home after a practice and watching tape every night and writing your lesson plan or game plan, not game plan, but your practice plan every night, when you say, you know, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. I think everyone would still want to come for the game. Right. And But I don't want to do that. It, the you game's know? the payoff. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to earn the payoff. <laughs> and uh, so I'm still, I still want to do that. I can't tell you when that will change, but when it does, then – then that's when I'll retire. And uh, but uh, I'm good right now. You know, I'm excited about my team, and we have a lot of young guys, and they're talented, and we're trying to, you know, trying to figure it all out with them. Now, last year when we did this podcast, you cited a loss as the defining moment in your USA basketball career. Right. 
What do you consider the defining moment in your college coaching career? A number of them, and they're mostly mostly losses, you know, uh, benchmarks, but also, you know, the first national championship is a defining moment because the first Final Four, because you go in in 86, you you know, you have a group of freshmen that were 11 and 17, and then as seniors get to be 37 and 3 and make it to the national championship game. It's a benchmark. It shows that you can you can do it. And then, then the next step is winning the national championship. And that's a defining moment. And then can you do it again? And we were able to do it again the next year. Uh, uh, but also losses, setbacks, you know, as you're building the program or in the mid-90s, you know, where you – a defining moment for me is when I got real sick and had to sit out half a year. You know, what do you do then? And how do you re- – you know, and we actually kind of had to rebuild our program that a lot of people forget, you know, for two seasons we were 31 and 31, you know, right in the middle of all right. of all this that, that that's happened. And uh, so that – I don't know if that's a moment or a period, a defining period. And a moment doesn't have to be a play or a day uh, or one event. It can be a, a period of time. Right. And so that was definitely a defining period. Because I, I changed the way we were going to run our program during that time. You know, I, I hear players and coaches kind of all the time say that losses stay with them more than their biggest wins. One, do you agree with that? And what's the, the loss that kind of has haunted you? And then what's the win that you've been able to enjoy the most? You know, you know I, don't, I, don't, I don't subscribe to that. Okay. You know, and, and again, nothing wrong with people who do. Uh, I think you have to forget about a win and a loss the same way. You know, uh, but you that doesn't mean when you lose, it doesn't. I think losing takes you deeper than winning elevates you for me. Like, I hate to lose, and but once that's done, it's behind, you know, like it, nothing haunts me in that regard, you know, like you know, because in a lot of the wins, I mean, what if you know, what if in you know. Uh, what if Leitner doesn't hit his shot? We're never in the the final four and go back to back. Yet, yet alone, you know, what if Scotty Thurman doesn't hit a three in '94? You know, would we have beaten Arkansas? Yeah, I remember some plays, but they don't haunt me, right? Because you know that's life. You know, like, uh, and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you know, I would. Weren't try like how did we win so I can replicate that? How did we lose so I could eliminate some of the things or all the things that caused us to lose? And sometimes you know, I've, sometimes you just lose. You know, like uh, you can play your butt off and be. I, I like to be what I call deserving of winning. Right. And uh, but that mean the other guy isn't deserving of winning. <laughs> And on that particular day, they might be one more play more deserving than you. And uh, so I look at it as being on a continuum and like, what's the, what's the next, what's the next thing? You know, especially considering you coached um, NBA players in the Olympics and spent so much time around those guys, did you ever strongly consider um, switching over and coaching in the NBA? 
Yeah, I never considered another college, another university. You know, anyone who's really good is going to get offers. So I've got my offers from other schools, and I've gotten offers from the MBA. Sometimes it's a feeler. And a lot of people say, well, you were offered. Well, they're feeling you out just to say. See if you have interest. If you have interest. There are a couple times that I took that further than that. You know, one in uh, 1990 when Dave Gavitt took over the, the Celtics because I ultimately had respect for him and, and then the Celtic brand. And, uh, and then in 2005 uh, with the Lakers because of their, you know, when you think, you know, and, uh, but I, I, I could never leave Duke in college. And then I was able once I got the U.S. stuff, then, uh, you know, I never thought about it. Now, I've been, there, people have approached as far as some administrative positions in the NBA, you know, a president or, a, you know, to run the whole, the whole thing and that. But, you know, that, that's not where I wanted to go. You mentioned the, US, the USA basketball stuff. How much do you think that helped impact your career? Oh, it's, it, I, I don't know. It's like, how much do I love you? How, how many ways do I, you know, like how it's tough to, you know, to really explain it. it it's, it, uh, one, how lucky can you be to be coaching your country's team and to do it for 11 years? And it was an, an immense honor. I learned more in those 11 years than I did in three decades before. And uh, uh, a magnificent time and a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of pressure and developed amazing friendships. You know, one that I will value above any of the others, and that is with Jerry Colangelo, who uh, really, I think, in this quarter century at least, no one has done more for the game of basketball in our country uh, than, than Jerry. In 2006, prior to winning uh, your first Olympic gold medal as a national team coach, uh, the USA basketball team lost to Greece in the world championships. Right. And, and following that, you went to Akron to meet with LeBron James. How important was that meeting, and how did that meeting shape kind of the future for LeBron and for USA basketball? Well, you know, meetings with players should be important. And in other words, you should, it shouldn't be somebody playing for you or for, it should be you are. Right. Or we are. And, you know, we were in the process, Jerry and I, of trying to develop a culture where you don't play for the United States, you are the United States. And one of those meetings was with LeBron. It was actually before the... 207 qualifying tournament and uh, because we were we knew we had to uh, add older players and three of the older players we added uh, were Jason Kidd, Chauncey Billups and Kobe Bryant and to get his reaction to all that and also to develop a uh, not that we had a bad relationship but we had lost we were on the team that lost uh, to Greece how were we going to change that and I knew that he would be as important or maybe more important than anyone. And we did develop a great relationship. I got great insight from him and 
and uh, uh, and his commitment during that time period to two Olympics was huge. It was uh, absolutely huge in the development of what we are trying to do with USA Basketball. You know, I think LeBron may be the best physical talent that I've seen on a basketball court. What's from coaching him? What's kind of your reaction to that? Well, he can, you know, he has qualities that go well beyond his physical abilities. And uh, he, one, he's really brilliant. You know, he's, he's smart. And he's smart in real time, you know, uh, in preparation, but also as the game is going on. And then the thing that he's learned, he has a, he has a command voice. He has a great voice. And when you couple ability that is as good as anybody, intelligence that's as good as anybody, with a great voice, you have this magnificent, uh, unique basketball player. And uh, that's what he is. And, you know, I love, I love that I've been on his on his bus here for uh, for a little bit, and that we've developed a really good friendship. And I've loved to see how I've loved seeing how he's grown, and he continues to grow because he wants to. That's you know that's another great quality about him. Let's uh, let's switch switch gears to your current team. Your first game is Friday uh, against Elon. Uh, what sticks out about your your current group? Yeah, well, I'm excited and nervous, you know, because we. Uh, we're going to start four freshmen, and we rely on all but one player who has had experience. And Grayson Allen has had a lot, and he's a terrific. He's one of the best players in the country. But all the other guys, it's it's their first time, and uh, you don't know what that produces. Right. And uh, we'll be playing a team in Elon that returns five starters, and well coached and. They can really shoot, and you know, how will we react to playing a veteran, uh, a veteran team, and that's probably played 60, 70 games together uh, as a as a group. So uh, that yeah, you know, that will always concern me. It, it, uh, uh, but it's exciting, and we're going to end up playing nine games in twenty days, and uh, be tr- tested early. Yeah, we're going to and and. A big part of it, too, is travel. You know, we'll be in Chicago to play Michigan State. We'll come back real, you know, early in the morning. We'll we'll be out at Portland and the tournament that, that honors Phil Knight and Nike. Uh, then we'll come back and spend 24 hours and fly right to Bloomington, Indiana, and play in one of the great places of, of all time in, in college basketball. And then we start our ACC uh, uh, schedule up at Boston College, and uh, that's a lot. And these kids have never gone through anything like that. So, uh, you know, at, at the end of that period, we'll we'll have grown up a lot. Hopefully, we've won a lot, but uh, uh, we'll certainly get a chance to then evaluate ourselves as we have a break then for exams. You mentioned Grayson Allen, and last year from the outside looking in was kind of a tough year for him, yeah. just from the, the tripping incidents, the public backlash. 
and his numbers were down. What's kind of been, how has he reacted since last year? Yeah, great. The, one of the main things is he's healthy. He was actually hurt the entire year with different things. The first nine games of the season, he never practiced. You know, he, that means he didn't even shoot. He'd go out for warm-ups and play. And, uh, and then when you do have to do that, then other injuries start coming up. And uh, obviously the incident uh, uh, that occurred produced a reaction that was, I thought, quite extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a public flogging of, of uh, somebody who really didn't, you know, commit a felony or, you know, cheated or, <laughs> you know, uh, again, should he have tripped? No. Right. You know, like, come on. You know, it, you know he didn't. Look, I'm not defending him, but the, what happened to him as a result of that really is extreme, it, it, uh, unbelievably extreme. To go along with the injuries, you know, produced a a year that no one in college basketball has ever had, I don't think. And uh, to see where he is right now, healthy, uh, a leader of our team, and ready to, to get going. I'm, I'm excited for him and proud of him. Tough question for you. Have you listened to Marvin Bagley's rap song? You know, I heard <laughs> part of it. I heard part of it. But uh, I, lo- I love that he did that. I didn't know that he would, I didn't know that about him. And, uh, you know, the fact that he has the courage to do that, uh, the courage to perform, you know, uh, you know he's going to, yeah, I think that'll help him as a player. Walk me through his recruitment, because this is a guy that was number one in the class. He reclassified late, but kind of from the outside looking in, it seemed like you guys had a had a good feel that he was going to reclass, and you guys jumped on it. Well, we recruited him before reclassification, so uh, the family has been to Duke a couple times. You know, his dad is from Durham, and uh, so we got to know them early. And, and well, were you kind of a little bit ahead of what you would think a relationship could be. And so when they decided uh, to look and see if they would reclassify, you know, we were made aware of that. Now, he had a lot of work to do academically, so that means he had to skip USA basketball and a bunch of things. And uh, I thought they did that really well in that they didn't wait until it was all over. As they, as they finished courses, I thought they coordinated it with the clearinghouse, the NCAA, so that it was done in a piecemeal fashion. And then, then they, as it was moving along, they, they were confident that it could happen. And so, and so I think they were exploring it, but then it went so well, and then, then it just it it happened, and then. He had to really do a bunch of visits in a short period of time, and uh, he did that, and you know, uh, finished up. And you know, he's a good student. He's a hard worker. They're a great family, and they have the right to to do what they did, and they did it the right way. I think he has the potential to be a number one pick just from being around him and just watching him at practice uh, yesterday. He was so effective as a scorer. He scored it with a sweeping hook. Uh, facing up, what what makes him so good? Well, he wants he, one. He he still has a lot to learn, and he wants to. 
but he's a hard worker, great listener, you know, great teammate. You know, it's not just it's not about him. He wants to win, and uh, you know, like he'll be. I don't know if anyone can predict who will be number one because so much depends on trades and right. what people need. But look, he'll be in that conversation. There's no question about it because he's he's got a uh, he's got a he's got a big future. You know, he's not he he won't excuse me he won't be the player he will eventually be here at Duke, but hopefully we can move him forward so that then he's ready for for the next step. So with Bagley, uh, Wendell Carter, Marquise Bolden, and Javin Delariere, you've got some really quality post options. Does having that many really good post players change how you guys will play this year? Yeah, and I I wouldn't call them post players. I'd call Marquise a a post player. Uh, The other three kids are, are basketball players. They just happen to be big guys. Right. And so they can play in the post, but they can face, they can guard uh, a number of different positions. I mean, Marvin can guard, you know, all five positions. And uh, I think Jabin can do that too. So uh, we have to make sure that we we adjust, and that's what we're doing. Our team will look, you know, we were so perimeter-oriented last year and shot the three, and, you know, we're an average shooting three team I think this year but we're very athletic and hopefully we'll be one of the better rebounding teams and and, and defensive teams uh, this team has good feet good width you know uh, uh, really good athletic ability and, and hopefully we can have the depth we haven't been injured uh, like we were last year and that's that's huge for any team that knock you heard was Coach K uh, knocking, knocking, on, knock, knocking on wood. Knocking on wood. Yeah, we had so many. I, mean, I can't even tell you. The only kid who was never in a boot was Luke Kennard last year. And uh, so it wasn't just each kid not having continuity. You, you didn't have the continuity of playing together. Especially in practice. Yeah, and you couldn't practice real hard. And, you know, that, that group did a great job, but you'd never – yeah. Again, if you wanted to look back, say, boy, how would it have been if they were healthy? Not if anybody came back, just be healthy. But, well, coaches can say that. Guys who've coached, they've been hurt by injuries. We're, we, weren't the, we haven't been the only ones. Right. Yeah. Have you been able to, uh, to follow Jason Tatum and Brandon Ingram early on in the season? Yeah. In fact, I actually talked to Jason last night uh, after his game. He hit a huge three against Atlanta late in the game and uh, how he's adjusting, the fact of being with Kyrie, how big that is. Uh, but also I talked to him a little bit about finishing. He's, you know, he's leaving some points on the, <laughs> on the floor. Uh, and just finish a little bit harder, where you, not to get your shot off, but to get to score. That means you can get fouled. Because he's like, he's pretty close to being an automatic free throw shooter. You know, he's a 90% free throw shooter. With uh, Brandon, it's you know he he's still that quiet guy. He doesn't you, you, we follow him and stay in touch. But uh, uh, we're pleased he's in a starting role now. He's putting up good numbers. I think he'll he, he, you know and there's more uh, there's great leadership and, and vision now for the Lakers with uh, Magic and Rob Palenka being there. 
uh, obviously with their their coach, uh, you know, now being solidified there. And having a veteran, a veteran center in Lopez, that helps them. Yeah. Julio Okafor was so good for you here. What's your take on his current situation? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm disappointed about the situation he's in. Obviously, I don't know all the things that are going on. And uh, it is a business. So, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I think there was a window of opportunity where a change could be made for location. And for whatever reason, that didn't occur. Now, instead of throwing blame on somebody, it didn't occur. Right. But you would have hoped that it would have occurred. And uh, and now it's it it, it you know he's a great kid. Look, if you look at his rookie numbers, you know, first team all rookie league. You know, uh, uh, he can play. And. You know, I, I think that's what he wants. He just wants the opportunity to play. and But it, it, it it's a business, so it's a complicated situation for him. Before I let you go, I want to chat with you a little bit about the state of our game, obviously the recent FBI investigations. And you said at, uh, at your all's media day, I'm going to quote you, we are not running this the way a billion-dollar industry should be run. And you're referring to college basketball, right. obviously. How do you think it should be run? Well, it, it, again, I'm, I don't have the solution. You know, I think the commission that they uh, that's been formed, which is outside the NCAA, you know, uh, a lot of learned, very intelligent people, you know, can maybe help figure that out. Uh, but it can't it can't be run like all the other sports, you know, because it has different uh, different pressures put on it. The financial pressure of first of all, what it does for the NCAA, it completely funds the NCAA. Men's college basketball, 98% of the money or something close to that comes from men's college basketball. And, uh, and because it is, we have this one and done, you know, the forces before we ever get them, you know, that where they're all the shoe companies and all the things that they do, which aren't bad, they're good. I mean, they give opportunities, but it's a different culture than the one we then try to put these kids in. And, and then they're all have sites on the NBA. And you know, it needs to be run on a, day, on a day-to-day basis and with vision and, and being able to have relationships with everyone. You don't, committees don't have relationships. You, you know, Adam Silver can't have a relationship with a committee, but right. he could have with one person. One person. And uh, same thing with shoe companies and that. They, they would have a better feel for it, and it's done every day. So, you know, change is going on all the time, look, in our society and culture. And if you can adapt somewhat while those changes are going on, it doesn't seem that bad. Right. We haven't changed for a long time. And so changes that we're making now say, holy mackerel. This is a huge change. Well, yeah, because we haven't changed. And now can we put in place a system that doesn't have to wait for something catastrophic to happen before we change? Can we put something in place, a model, where going forward we can make the changes that are appropriate to the culture that the kids live in and 
you know, that's what I would like to see. You mentioned one and done, and that's something that, I mean, obviously you've recruited a lot of these guys yeah. over the last couple of years, and it sounds like there's a possibility that it goes away and kids can go straight to high school, what's, or straight from high school to college or to MBA. What's your kind of no, take? No, I'd be totally for kids being able, and have always been in favor of kids being able to go right to the pros and not putting, if they didn't, not putting any restrictions on them as to how long they have to stay. I, I think that's that's not right. But we also have to be in cooperation with the NBA, the players' union. If a kid did go straight out of high school, do they have the resources to take care of that kid? I think with the G League developing the way it is, 26 out of 30 NBA teams have uh, affiliation right. with. Uh, to me, it should probably be that each NBA team has to have it, and uh, I think they're going to that. Uh, but uh, no, I'm all for the kid and the family. They uh, and w- college basketball will be fine if that happens. Right. Yeah, you know, we'll be we'll be fine. And uh, but we need to take care of. The reason we coach, the reason there's all the there's referees, there's athletic directors, you know, is because of players. You know, we're here because of players, and therefore the the centerpiece of discussion, whenever we're we're talking about things, should be the player, and the player who he is now, who he who he might be because of the early culture. The way the NBA is changing, like how do how does this whole thing work together, and not just one part of it, but how do we all work together uh, to make sure that we take care of basketball uh, in this country at the level that it needs to be taken care of? Coach, last question before I uh, I let you go, and this is kind of a fun one. I've been asking a guest on my podcast lately. I've gotten some interesting questions, but. What uh? What would you be doing if uh, if you hadn't coached basketball? Jay Wright told me he would be a uh, barista on the beach. <laughs> Mike Boyton told me he would uh, own a morgue. So I've gotten some interesting answers. Yeah. Well, I, I would be a, a teacher. You know, I that I got in this to be uh, a high school teacher and coach, and uh, uh, I like to teach, and so that would be my my calling, and and uh, I think one of the great rewards you have as as a teacher as you see the, the the men and women the boys and girls that you have the honor to to teach have them learn you know what a what a great thing and it keeps keeps you current keeps you current here where you're a lifelong learner and the great teacher not only imparts knowledge but gets knowledge from the the, the students he or she has an opportunity to uh, to teach. For sure. Coach, I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Evan. Always a pleasure. This is De'Aaron Fox. Fox, who has his first 30-point game at Kentucky, has oh. two more for 32 on the night. Well, they said he was like John Wall. And you're looking to the sideline with Evan Daniels. We'd like to once again thank Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski for jumping on the sidelines podcast. Enjoyed that conversation. Just like I did last week, I want to dig into three big topics. And while I was in Durham interviewing Coach Mike Krzyzewski, I had an opportunity to watch the Duke Blue Devils. And they're my first topic. 
Uh, I was really impressed with Marvin Bagley, and and that should be of no surprise. I, I listed him on my big board last week as a potential number one draft pick in the 2018 NBA draft, and he was absolutely tremendous in the practice I watched. He scored the ball in so many ways. I was actually taken back, and this is a kid I've seen quite a bit, but he scored with sweeping hooks. He scored with half jump hooks. He scored facing the rim and attacking. He scored with catch and shoot three pointers. The Southpaw had it rocking when I was watching them practice as a kid with a lot of upside. He he's been working very hard, is what Mike Shashevsky told me after practice and uh, in the interview that you just listened to. But this is a kid at six foot ten with tremendous hands, tremendous mobility, gets up and down the floor. He plays hard and with a motor. He's a good athlete and he can score the ball in so many different ways. And I I still think even though he he made a couple threes in that practice I watched that he's probably a little bit of a below average shooter at this point. But I think he's going to become a better shooter. But he was attacking off the bounce, and he's a really good ball handler for his size. I think he's going to be a good rebounder. Uh, But this Duke team in the post is going to be really good. When you pair Marvin Bagley with Wendell Carter, who I thought was tremendous in the practice I watched as well, he stands 6'9", very good hands, can score the ball in the block. He was showing some face-up moves. He had a really nice spin move to a left hand that – uh, was an absolutely ridiculous move. So uh, Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley, I think, as a duo, are going to be really tough for teams at the collegiate level to handle. And then you throw in Marquise Bolden, who unfortunately didn't practice when I was in there, and Javin Delariere, and you've got four really good guys at the power forward and center positions. Uh, I think you're going to see Duke play a lot bigger this year, and uh, I think those four guys together give you athleticism they give Duke scoring ability, uh, versatility. Uh, I think Duke is going to be really good in the paint this year, and uh, I think it's led by Marvin Bagley, but those other guys are really good. I think we're going to see Marquise Bolden take a positive step forward. This is a kid, a former top 10 prospect. So those four guys in the post are going to be really good. I'm curious to see how their point guard situation shakes out. It's obviously Trayvon Duvall's position. It's his Roll, uh, six foot three with a massive wingspan, and I think he's got a chance to be a really good on the ball defender. And you're going to see him putting some pressure on the defense. I think the biggest thing with Trayvon is consistency. Uh, he, he's loaded with talent. I thought he was the best layup maker in all of high school basketball. Uh, but I, I think Duke's strength is going to lie in the interior with Bagley, Carter, Bolden, and Delariere. Second big topic is North Carolina State. I had an opportunity to watch them practice on Monday morning. And the first thing that jumped out when I walked in, Kevin Keats was in a defensive position teaching his guys his press. And he was absolutely bringing the energy. And I think one thing you're going to see at NC State this year and years going forward is Kevin Keats bring that press with him. It's something he did at UNC Wilmington. Something he did dating back when he was the head coach at Hargrave. He loves to press. He's got a couple different ones. He loves to put pressure on the opposition. And I think you're going to see that's the first time I've walked into a practice and seen a head coach uh, basically in the drill playing defense with his guys. Uh, So I think you're going to see that NC State team try to play faster and really push tempo, but also cause turnovers and and get after it on the defensive end. Another thing I noticed at NC State's practice was the development 
of Omer Yurtseven. He appeared to be in much better shape than last year, and this is a kid um, that I thought had a chance to be a top 20 pick when he entered North Carolina State. He missed the first nine or 10 games of the season uh, due to NCAA rules, so he missed part of the season, never really seemed to get into a flow. And I think he's going to be big for NC State this year. This is a kid at 6'10", pushing 6'11", with tremendous hands. Really nice touch around the basket. He's going to anchor uh, the post. I think he's a good area rebounder. I think he's going to take a positive step forward. And although Malika Boo did not practice when I was there, I think he and Omer Yurtseven are going to be a really good post duo at NC State. Now, C.J. Bryce and Devin Daniels are two guys that can't play. For Kevin Keats this season, but man, I, I, they are really impressive. Uh, CJ Bryce is a, a long, rangy guard that can really score. He's athletic, he's tax. And then Devin Daniels is so aggressive and tough and physical, plays well through contact, scores it going to the rim. Those are two guys that, if they were at, able to play at NC State this year, uh, w- would really do some damage. And I think they're going to do so in the years to come. That was two really good pickups for Kevin Keats. Braxton Beverly was practicing. This is a kid that the NCAA is saying has to sit out this coming season. When I was walking off the court following practice, I asked Braxton Beverly how he was doing, and he said, and I quote, I could be better. Uh, This is a kid that is being held out uh, despite the the head coach that he signed with uh, getting removed from his position by the athletic director at Ohio State. Uh, he went to summer school, ended up transferring to NC State, and the NCAA is not allowing him to play. Uh, I think this is a situation where, where they should reverse this. I know that NC State has appealed it, but Braxton Beverly, uh, this is a, a, a kid that, that made a decision based on a coach like most of these kids do. The coach is no longer at this school. He went to summer school, um, took a class or two, um, and then – Fab Mata ended up leaving. So I, I think the NCAA needs to, to, to reverse this. And Braxton Beverly came out with a, a statement on the matter. You can read that over on his Twitter page. The third topic of the podcast is North Carolina. I had an opportunity to watch them practice for about an hour and a half before I skipped off to the airport. It's a, a unique team, and it's a, it's a really unique mixture of veteran talented players with younger players. And Carolina's got a, a long list of, uh, of freshmen, especially inside. You're talking about Garrison Brooks and Brandon Huffman and Sterling Manley. And, and over on the perimeter, uh, you've got Andrew Playtech and Jalik Felton. Felton is really gifted, by the way. 6'3", tremendous passer, can really shoot it. Uh, especially with Joel Berry being out, I think Jalik Felton has an opportunity in front of him to really step up and help that basketball club. One thing I saw in practice Theo Plinson playing with the ball in his hands, playing the point guard position with Barry out. It looks like that they're going to put the ball in his hands some. This is obviously a a, a 6'5 perimeter player uh, that really brings it on the defensive end and with his energy. And uh, he's going to be a leader for that North Carolina bunch. Two players that really stood out, Garrison Brooks. I think he's probably going to outplay his ranking. This was a guy that we didn't have ranked in our 2017 top 100. Did have him as a four-star prospect. And Garrison at 6'9", he's already added some weight. He looked like he's probably gained 10 to 15 pounds since he's been at North Carolina. But uh, he he looked 
pretty good. I, I, I think um, just from talking to sources and, and uh, guys that have been around not only North Carolina team, but in the gym when they were doing some exhibition games, Garrison Brooks uh, plays hard and, and with energy. And this is a guy that's always had a little bit of upside. He's got good hands. He's got good length. He's mobile. Uh, he's clearly coachable and he's starting to gain weight and that was the thing he, he was very thin in high school and needed to gain weight so it looks like Garrison Brooks is, is uh, taking advantage of an opportunity because North Carolina is, is very thin in the post right now and he's taking advantage of an opportunity and, and uh, I think he's going to get some big minutes for North Carolina this year Cameron Johnson transfer from Pittsburgh it's eligible right away Really good size for a perimeter player at 6'8", and he is a shot maker. You absolutely cannot leave that guy open. I think he's going to play a big role for North Carolina this season. Before I let you guys go, I want to make sure that you are subscribed to the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. That is the best way to support this podcast. Hit the subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Also, leave me a rating and or a review. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. I would love to know what you think about the podcast, any possible guests. Shoot me a note over on Twitter. Guys, thanks for listening and have a great week.